Welcome to the Stewardship Leader Podcast, brought to you by the Christian Stewardship Network. CSN exists to encourage, teach, and connect church and stewardship leaders to help them create and lead healthy stewardship ministries in their church. You can learn more about CSN at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to this conversation that we wanted to have about investing. And obviously, Matt is the person that I look to when I want to talk about investing, especially as it relates to what the Bible said about investing. So, Matt, welcome. Thanks for taking the time to be here. It's my pleasure. So, Matt is uh, the managing editor at Sound Mind Investing. Uh, I'll let him tell you a little bit more about this organization, which you guys need to know more about. But what we wanted to do today is really talk about what's going on in the investing world. Uh, there's a few questions that I had for Matt that I think are important for all of us as we, uh, as Christians to really talk about investing. What is it? How do we both exercise good investment wisdom, but also how do we encourage others to do the same? Because I do believe, and I know that this is a topic that Jesus himself talked about. So we want to make sure we understand it, that we apply these principles to our own personal lives, and then also talk about what are some of the things that are happening in the investment world? Um, there's been a lot of changes because of the pandemic, because of uh, the way we communicate these days. And we want to talk about all of that and hopefully uh, offer some value to you uh, as you're either watching this video or listening to this on our podcast. So Matt, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us about SMI. Tell us about um, what you do and why you do it. Sure. Thanks. Um, Soundline Investing was started over 30 years ago by Austin Pryor, and uh, Austin was a good friend of Larry Burkett, and Larry was the one that recommended, that suggested that Austin start this organization. Um, he felt that something that was missing in the, the body was sound advice, sound uh, biblical, biblically-based investment uh, guidance for uh, Christians, and so um, Austin was a money manager at that time here in Louisville, and uh, he walked away from the lunch thinking, yeah, that really is a good idea. Somebody should do that. And several days later, uh, the Lord impressed on him that maybe he should do that. So like I said, that's been over 30 years now. And the way we work, we have uh, about 7,500 members uh, who pay a subscription fee for our newsletter that we publish every month. And that gives them access to certain investment strategies and our recommendations of what to invest in. Um, all of it is mutual fund based, which we could talk about if you'd like to. Um, so that's the essence of it. I've been interested and, and involved in stewardship in some fashion for more years than I care to admit, but I joined Soundline Investing in uh, 2012. And it's been, honestly, I really believe, and I've, I've written about this before, that when I joined SMI, I, like I said, been in stewardship for quite a long time. But I would be the first to admit that that investing was my weakest link. I could talk a mean game about asset allocation and certain things, but that's about as far as it went. But but just being part of this organization now for uh, really going on ten years now, I've learned a ton and have really benefited as a as a Christ follower, as an investor, um, to to hear and to be around people that really understand how to invest. Um, wisely, and uh, certainly from a biblical perspective. So that's a little bit about uh, about SMI. Great. Well, yeah, I, I do get your newsletters, and I love uh, some of the articles that you guys put, and of course, all the advice that you're giving through that. So I do recommend if you've not had the opportunity to be exposed to this, uh, 
this educational uh, ministry because they really do a lot of education, a lot of um, giving of insight and understanding and wisdom about investing. Uh, really highly recommend it. Uh, you can visit their website, which we'll give you in a little bit, and uh, you can check them out. Uh, it's really worthwhile. So Matt, you and I uh, had a bit of an exchange over email that prompted us to, to get together and do this and really have this conversation so others could hopefully benefit. And I had a question that was related to individual stocks and how do you guys look at that? Should people invest in individual stocks? But before we dive too deep into the woods, let's talk about how is investing, um, how do people see investing? Is there more interest in investing today, especially with the pandemic and so much of our life now being done remotely online, um, having so many apps and things available to us to invest? And it seems like investing is more and more in the news. Uh, there's so many resources and sources of information related to investing, which some could say was really good, but then we could talk about how good that might or might not be. But ultimately, are people interested in investing? And has that been impacted by the pandemic recently? Something really, I think, counterintuitive happened with investing during the pandemic. I mean, if you go back to the big downturn in 2008, um, when the stock market fell some 37%, that experience drove a lot of people out of the market. Before that happened, something like 65% of households had some sort of investment in the stock market. Mm. By the time the dust settled in early 2009, that was down to 55%. Wow. So you would expect that during a scary time like the pandemic, I mean, in early 2020, uh, there was a period, a 16-day trading period, uh, I think from mid-February to mid-March of 2020, when the market fell um, further than it had ever fallen in such a short period of time. And so you would have thought that maybe that would be a repeat of 2008, 2009, where people get scared out of the market, but really the opposite happened. So many millions of people got drawn to investing that there was a recent Schwab study I saw that said that 15%, today 15% of so-called retail investors, that's you and me, that's you know non-institutional investors, 15% um, of today's investors began investing in 2020. So a huge number of people were drawn to the market. And why was that? Well, we can speculate a bit, and that's that's really what it'll be. But but it seems that people were bored. They were at home more often. They had time on their hands. And then there was this kind of strange coming together of several different phenomena where uh, there were social media people really getting a lot of attention, a lot of, a lot of press, a lot of media, that they were live streaming their day trading. And this drew lots of eyeballs. Lots of people got interested in this. They, again, they had time on their hands. You had um, Reddit, uh, a sub forum on Reddit where, where people were kind of coming together and bidding up the price of beaten down stocks. And it looked like easy money. And for some people, it turned out to be. But for a lot of people, it turned out to be just the opposite. So yeah. you had this kind of strange coming together of several different factors that, that just generated a lot of interest and so in investing. And so I looked at and, and that and I said, well, hey, there's a lot of potential there. There's a lot of potential good there. But the downside is it seemed like a lot of people were being drawn to investing for perhaps a lot of the wrong reasons, like as if gambling, as if as if investing was like gambling and, and easy money could be found there. So um, here we are today, a lot of new accounts, a lot of new investors. Um, hopefully longer term, there will be some wisdom uh, spoken about investing. And, and you know, again, we can talk about this, but I, I think the church has a huge 
opportunity because there is so much interest in investing. And within the whole stewardship conversation, I think investing is probably one of the least talked about uh, topics in churches. Yeah, that's so true. We we really don't talk about money very much in the church to begin with, which is something CSN is very passionate about, helping leaders learn how to talk about money in a healthy way, how to educate people and equip them with God's word, God's wisdom on finances. But investing is even further removed because it's one of those things that, like you said, even before you joined SMI, you knew some basics, probably a little bit of what like, you know, I know some basics, but I couldn't get in front of people and teach them on investing. Uh, it's not my world. It's not something I do every day. And it, it can be very complicated. You have to take the time to dig into it, to, to learn how to be an investor, to understand how the market works. There's, there's so many confusing terms sometimes that even scare people from even getting engaged. And for that reason, I think, is the reason I think the church is even less likely to talk about investing. And then there's, of course, the legal part of it. You know, we don't want people to think we're guiding them to borrow, and, I mean, to, to buy or or to get into investments, and if it goes bad, then the church is giving them bad advice. So there are many barriers, I think, where churches can justify not doing it. But we keep coming back to the fact that, but this is a topic people have to deal with. People have to engage in investing. They have to think about the future. And there's a biblical wisdom that we have available so that we do it right. Uh, and that's what I love about SMI is that you guys are there to help people to do it the right way. It's not gambling. Like you said earlier, a lot of folks have been driven, I think recently with the idea that I can get rich quick, right? I mean, maybe, and especially with some of the, the younger folks, the fire movement, right? Uh, financial independent, retire early movement. They, they think, well, I'm going to work really hard for 10 years and then I don't have to work ever again. And so there is this desire to, to not just invest, but invest and in increase and see some of the successes that they've so easily have been exposed to by social media. And that plays a big part of it, obviously, because so many people can influence us and we only see one side of it. You know, no, one, no one that we see investing in real life is showing us their books, how they're doing long-term. They're just showing us, hey, I just made this much because I bought this and this is my income this month. And I think people can get bought into that and, and do, the, do, do it wrong or do it for the wrong reason. So let's let's dig into some of the pros and cons. Uh, you mentioned Robinhood. Um, no, I'm sorry, not Robinhood. You mentioned Reddit, but you and I talked about Robinhood because it is an app that's gotten a lot of attention lately. And so we want to talk about either Robinhood or some of the apps that are out there that do encourage people to invest. Are they good? Is there potential harm that could come from these? Or are they all really a positive way of getting people more engaged in investing? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, Robinhood got a lot of publicity uh, through the pandemic. Seems like a lot of the newer investors were drawn to it because it had sort of this rebel uh, attitude and mm -hmm. uh, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, they were well known for, they still are well known for not having any commissions and, and that kind of thing. But they also, I don't think that this is on their app anymore, but for a time they would do things like shower confetti on the screen after a trade. And so they were kind of, it was, it was talked about in terms of gamifying investing. And uh, there's a lot of stuff going on on the screen. Last time I took a look at, at the app, they're, they're, they would update the numbers, the, the value of a share of stock constantly. There was constant movement. And as we know from things like the uh, documentary, The Social Dilemma, that talks about social media, that we're drawn to these things. 
and 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 really it's the app that's that's encouraging certain behavior there was a research study cited by the new york times uh, last year where they looked at the trading behavior of people on robinhood versus other uh, brokerage platforms and they found that that users of robinhood were much more likely to trade much more frequently than others and they were also much more likely to trade to invest in the riskiest possible investments and so it seems like, I mean, it could have been partly the type of people they were drawing, but it seems like, in, in at least in part, it was because of some of the design features of the app that was encouraging more frequent trades and riskier trading behavior. And so, again, I like the idea that more people have been drawn to investing because I think investing is an important thing. Um, you touched on motivations a minute ago, and, and motivations are really critical, especially as Christ followers, that why are we investing? Some of these apps and some of the social media positioning and narratives tend to paint investing like gambling, as I said. And yet, as, as Christ followers, we have a mandate to provide for our families. And so one of our motivations to invest is to build up a nest egg to live on in our later years. I mean, I don't think that investing is necessarily a biblical concept. And yet, statistically, we are, all of us are very likely to exit the paid workforce at some point, either because of a health issue or the health issue of a loved one or a downsizing or that sort of thing. And so it's just good stewardship to build up some resources to be able to live on and provide for our families longer term or to help a child pay for the high cost of college or that sort of thing. So the motivation piece is, is really, really important. Um, you know, there, there are other features that have been added to a lot of apps these days and a lot of brokerage firms where there is commission-free trading now for stocks and for exchange-traded funds. Um, it's There's fractional share trading of, again, stocks and exchange-traded funds. And so for an investor, for someone that has some experience with investing, these are wonderful developments. I mean, it's great to be able to uh, buy an investment for no commission. And, and if you need to put a specific dollar amount in, you're not restricted based on the, the value of the shares. You can do fractional share trading. These are wonderful things. But for a new person, it's, it's a lack of friction, as some people describe it. It, it, it. Now there's nothing slowing you down to make you think. I mean, even a three or four or $5 commission on a trade might slow you down enough to say, do I really want to do this? And without that slowing us down, without that friction, it's just easier to engage in more behavior. And research shows that the more trading people do, the more poorly they tend to do as investors. So, so again, I like the idea of more people being drawn to investing, but I'm not so sure I want to see uh, investing gamified. Yeah, I agree, especially, and you mentioned the younger folks or newer people to, to investing. If they remove a lot of the barriers, it's really, it's really removing some of the information that's vital to you making good decisions, right? So not knowing, just looking at the stock and the price or the history of a, of a stock, that's not enough to know whether that's a good investment and if that stock or that company is a good investment. So it's important to understand what, a good investment is. And some of these, many of these apps, unfortunately, make it so easy that those aren't even offered. There's not even information that you could dig into. You have to go outside of that app and start digging for that on your own. And for, for young, younger or newer people who are investing, especially in individual stocks, uh, because it is gamified, because it does feel like you're getting in and, and you're seeing it go up. And if you're looking at it every day or something like that, it does tend to do something inside of you, very much like what you mentioned uh, from the, the Netflix 
um, a movie on the social dilemma that a lot of these things we don't realize that we're subject to uh, behavioral um, uh, motivations that we don't even know are happening. You know, we 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 we're being led to think a certain way or to act a certain way, and that causes in us to make decisions that aren't, aren't fully uh, thought through sometimes, or just not fully. Um, take into account everything that needs to be taken into account. And this is really important when it comes to investing because one, it's not easy to make money. It's easy to lose money. <laughs> um, and when you're just putting it in there, hoping or because you heard something or read something and it's only a fraction of the information and you're missing the real information that could really help you to see whether that's a good investment or not, then that makes it even more so um, you know, damaging. So when you think about the social media trends, um, they tend to play up stocks. They they tend to not so much focus on the long runners, the mutual funds, the you know the index funds, and just put it and forget it kind of thing. So why is that? How do you feel about stock investing versus mutual fund investing? Yeah, I think it's a lot more interesting to talk about stocks than it is to talk about mutual funds, and so mm-hmm. that's why social media personalities tend to focus on on stocks. Um, but I like the inherent in. Uh, diversification aspect of mutual funds and exchange traded funds. And that's really why at Salmon Investing, that's all that where our strategies use is mutual funds and, and exchange traded funds because of that diversification piece. Um, and so one of the things that we really feel strongly about is that oftentimes people move too quickly to answering the question, what should I invest in? And that's what we're seeing on social media, people with their opinions about this stock or that stock. And yet, it's an opinion. What, what's behind that opinion? Is, it, is there anything more behind that? So we're strong advocates of people having a process. In fact, it's much more important to, to find a trustworthy, objective process than it is to think about what to invest in, because that process is, is what should drive you to what to invest in. So oftentimes on social media or in just traditional media, the headlines about stocks are are all on the buy side. You don't see too many sell-related headlines. It's all about, this is the hottest stock. This one's going to the moon. This is the one you should be invested in. That's what we hear from our friends that we're playing golf with or hanging out with. You know, it's it's all buy side advice. And so where's the other side of that? Do you buy and hold the stock forever? It's just an incomplete uh, system, if you will. And so again, it comes back to process. You want a process that is trustworthy, that is objective, that's rules-based, that you can follow, that'll tell you which investments to make now. And if there's a time to sell that investment, what when is that time and what to buy in place of it? And so um, I like to kind of orient this whole conversation within the context of, I like to think of or, or tell people that really there are four kind of key ways you could invest. You could be a DIY investor. You could do your own research. You could figure it out. Um, you could be a DIY with help investors. That's, that's the space that we occupy. So people that subscribe to our newsletter, they have their own investment accounts. They maintain their own money. They don't turn over any money to us to, to invest for them. They make their own trades, but they're getting help. They're getting advice. They're getting guidance from us in following our strategies. Then there are these so-called robo-advisors. I don't know of any robo-advisors that um, use individual stocks as their recommendations. Most ones I'm familiar with are using mutual funds and ETFs. And then there are the the traditional face-to-face advisor. And there you will find some people um, recommending individual stocks. But whatever process you use, I want it to be objective and rules-based. And so I would argue that I, I think very few, if any, 
individuals, you know, people taking a DIY approach could really successfully invest in stocks because it's very difficult to come up with an objective process. You could do individual and take an individual approach to mutual funds because you could do the classic asset allocation thing and, and choose index funds accordingly based on your stock bond mix or target date funds have made that really easy for the DIY investor. Um, so I just, I'm, I'm cautious about people investing in individual stocks unless they have some sort of objective uh, rules-based process to follow that'll lead them to the right stocks and how long to hold those stocks. Yeah, and, and maybe one one of those that we can maybe go a little deeper into is what part of what part or what portion of your portfolio should be in individual stocks. If you're going to invest in individual stocks, which you know, let's face it, I mean, it, there are stocks out there, and I think this is where the draw and the interest comes when you see a stock like Amazon, Tesla, Microsoft. And you think, gosh, if we would have invested in that just a small portion 10, 15 years ago, today you'd be a millionaire. So that that tends to be what's promoted or what's um, what's used to draw people in to say, you could do this. You could, we can recommend the next Amazon stock to you. And that sounds very appealing to someone who is young, uh, who thinks, hey, this is I've, you know, this is like a click and play. I can I can do this too. Uh, and if I have a little bit of money, I can play. And but but with that also comes the idea that as you're investing in these, um, what portion? Is, do you, you know, I I never hear when when I listen or hear someone talking about individual investing, I never hear never invest more than a small percentage of in a ten maybe fifteen percent of your portfolio. The rest of it they put into a mutual fund or ETF or something that's a long term strategy that's just going to do well. No, you're not going to get 40% every year, but you'll get a steady 10 to 11, 12% over your lifetime or 30, 40 years, whatever you have that investment in. So that's the other thing that I think that causes the problem is that there's not even guidance on how much you should invest in that. It's just, just invest. And it's almost like it's left off the table. So it's left to assume, well, I should invest as much as possible. And I mean, I've heard of stories of people getting a, a home equity loan and investing in a stock. And some people did really well, but I guarantee you, well, I can't guarantee you, but I can tell you that more than likely, nine out of those 10 people will suffer loss, major loss, while one might get lucky. And that's all it is. It's very much like gambling. So, Yeah, I'm, I'm not really, a, you know, some people talk about having a sleeve of kind of mad money. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm enamored with stock investing, so I'll carve off a sleeve of my portfolio to, yeah. to dabble in, in that. You know, personally, I'm not a fan of, of that approach. I just think, you know, this is God's money. We're stewards of his resources. We're investing for long-term objectives like funding our later years and providing for our family or helping our kids pay for college. I'm not, it doesn't feel right to, to think of God's money as some mad money I can just go and, you know, play around with and have some, uh, no. take some risks with. I, I, I'm much more uh, enamored with the idea of having, like I said, a, a process and, and, and something steady to follow. And so, I mean, there are companies in the space, that second space I mentioned, that DIY with help. There are newsletters out there that do offer individual stock investing. So, 
I'm not personally familiar with them. I've never used them myself. And so I can't sit there and, and recommend them. But if somebody were interested in stock investing, that may be a route to take. So at least you've got some outside guidance. I would just really encourage the person to vet those companies to find out what is the process. Is it objective or is this just somebody's track record? And you know, maybe that track record ends next month. Uh, right exactly. after you get started with it. Um, yeah. So it's, well, I like it's what you just said because you 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 touched on the fact that this is God's money and this is something we all believe. But at the same time, there's this notion of, well, what's motivating me to think or what's motivating me to invest in the first place? Is it because I am trying to grow wealth for wealth's sake or for my own selfish reasons? Or am I really being driven or guided by the Holy Spirit to say, you know, the Bible says we should be wise, that we should, you know, prepare for tomorrow. And this is the, the wise man sees danger and prepares himself, right? So it's understanding that the motivation we have for investing, for setting something aside for the future, knowing that it's not ours, is that we know that today is today and we don't control today and we certainly don't control the future, but we know that it rains on the just and unjust alike, according to scripture. So it's prudent that we should be prepared for that. If, if we never need it, and if it's just the surplus, then I'm sure that we can do some good with it and God can give us wisdom on what to do. But in the meantime, not knowing the future, it makes more sense to me, according to God's word, that we should prepare. But then again, how do we prepare? Yeah. Because preparing says, I'm going to set aside, still fully trusting God, but knowing that if I set aside a little bit at a time, then I can have a nest egg that I can draw from. That's still going to be God's provision for me, but it's not gambling. I'm not taking on the responsibility of becoming my own provider or growing my own lifestyle and wealth and, and well-being. I'm still depending on God while I am cautiously and, and systematically through a process investing in something that's as safe as possible. There's always risk in investing, so the, but, but there's a difference between risk and gambling, I think, because risk says that you can invest in something if you know most of the information and can mitigate the risk. For instance, I invest in real estate. When I invested in real estate and I bought a property, uh, I looked at the numbers. I looked at what it cost me to put down. I had to have the money to buy into it. I knew what I was going to produce. I estimated what my cost is going to be. I got insurance for anything that I could not cover myself or fix myself. And so I removed a lot of the risk. Now, it's not 100% risk-free because I may have a tenant that doesn't want to pay. Right. So there are some things there. So as time goes on, though, I can reduce those risks more and more by having some money set aside, being able to pay the rent myself that the renter can't pay or being able to fix something that that breaks, having the money set aside. So it's similar to investing. Real estate is similar to investing in anything else. You have to look and say, well, what is the risk? And is that risk worth the investment? Meaning if the risk is so high that I don't know 99 percent of the information, but I'm hoping this will hit the big time then that's probably wrong motivation. At least for me, I would think it is. And so is there a responsibility maybe and an opportunity for the church here for us to come alongside and saying, let's, let's understand investing from God's perspective. Let's, let's overcome the, the message of the world through social media and every, avenue, every other avenue that says that we, we can do it too, because that doesn't address the attitude or the reason or the motivation behind it. It just says, here's the result you can have. 
But that, as a Christian, we need to ask ourselves, well, why? Why do I need that? Why do I have to do that? Do I follow the culture? Or do I just stick to what God says? And I think I, I'm asking you, I believe I know the answer to this, uh, but is the church responsible? And is there an opportunity here for the church to act and to help people gain wisdom in this area? I, I think the answer is yes to both. The church, I believe, does have a responsibility here. And I believe it has a huge opportunity because so many people, and especially younger people, have been drawn into investing. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you made so many good points in, in what you just said. I'm going to try to remember a few of them here. Um, so one of the things I want to really camp on is, is what can we control? So, you know, we can control how much we set aside for investing. And we can take the step-by-step approach that, you know, I love the simple framework that we we give as our first priority. We save as our second priority. We then invest a portion. If somebody did that, you know, so simple and yet so rare, if they gave the first portion, if they saved the next portion, if they invested the next portion and then built their lifestyle on what remains, that's a pretty simple biblical biblical framework for investing that the church would do wonders by teaching and fostering and encouraging people. Um, and then you know, I think the hardest work of an investor is the emotional side of it. So, and it's the twin, you know, it's, it's both ends of the spectrum. It's the greed on the one side and it's the fear on the other side. And so, you know, the, the social media, the things in the culture that we've seen during the pandemic are all about fostering the greed. So uh, obviously the Bible speaks a lot about that. And so we can talk about, as we have already in this brief discussion about the motivations for investing, that it's about providing for our family long-term. Um, and then the fear piece is equally, if not more important, when the market goes down, that's when people tend to get scared and they tend to sell their investments. And so here too, just some really practical education about the history of investing that, that the stock market, you know, people say, well, it has a long-term, you know, average annual return of 10%. Well, that's true. But what, what, what often doesn't get explained is that that journey was not some straight, smooth journey. That, that journey looks like this. And so you've got to be emotionally and spiritually prepared for those ups and downs, which comes back to that process. So if you do something as simple as take your stock bond allocation when you're young, you can afford to take more risk because you've got time to write out the ups and downs. When you get older, you have less time to write out those ups and downs. So that portfolio should tilt toward safer things like like bonds. Um, If you get that piece of it right, which is something you can absolutely control you've done a lot. So, you know, organize your budget and your lifestyle so that you can afford to invest on a regular basis, then be patient. You know, steady plotting brings prosperity. Hasty speculation brings poverty. And um, so we need to be mindful of the principles of scripture. The Bible doesn't talk about Roth IRAs versus traditional IRAs and ETFs versus mutual funds. So I think we can bring some wisdom to some of those decisions but it certainly presents many principles about patience and about managing uh, the emotional side, the fear and greed that, that often comes into conversations about investing. That's good. So what do you think that the conversation of investing fits into the larger, larger stewardship conversation? This is something we're passionate about. You said you were in stewardship many years prior to going on staff with SMI. And it's our passion that that churches would equip and that they would teach people uh, how to be good stewards, how to be generous uh, and build God's kingdom. So how does investing fit into that? Obviously, you know, some of it, most of it at this point, at least, it seems like we're putting it aside for future need in case we either can't or are unable 
to to work and provide for ourselves. So that will serve as a as an income stream, as a, as a way to, to continue to be financially viable and be able to take care of ourselves and not be a burden. But is there more to that? And how does this fit into the whole stewardship conversation? How does investing fit into it? Yeah, I think it's an, an integral part of the stewardship conversation. And I've been involved in stewardship long enough to be, you know, honestly, a little bit frustrated at the idea that it seems like stewardship ministries, even today, even as long as I've been involved in this in this work, even today, I feel like it's probably fair, unfortunately, to say that that most people availing themselves of the of the offerings of a typical stewardship ministry are either in trouble financially because they've got lots of debt. I mean, that's really probably the primary reason why people come to stewardship uh, workshops or for some one-on-one uh, guidance. Um, or the conversation in the church is around generosity. And, and you know, those are two really important topics. Generosity is obviously hugely important. Helping people live free from the burden or the bondage of debt is hugely important. But those are not, you know, that's not the whole story. Um, so I think that investing is just, it's, it's one of those integral parts of the whole. You know, like I said, the framework of we, we give generously off the first portion, we save a portion, we invest a portion. Um, and yes, some of it is for our later years. And um, so for some people that may seem, you know, younger people, it might seem kind of boring that, oh, I'm waiting for my later years, but it's not really great stewardship to hit, you know, retirement age now dependent on social security or, others, you know, family members to, because we haven't been wise. Um, and so when you're young, that's when you've got time to put, you know, time is one of the most valuable assets a, a young person has. And to put time to work in that compounding process means that you can invest a lot less now than if you wake up when you're 40 or 50 and realize you haven't been investing. And now I've got a lot of catching up to do. Mm-hmm. So I would love to see it become just a normal thing. I mean, even teaching young kids, we have three children still at home, my wife and I, all of them have investment accounts. Um, you know, retirement is not really exciting for a 13-year-old. And yet, I think they've all been convinced um, to not touch certain investments. I mean, yep. still manage them, but but it's really for later years. And now we can move on to other maybe more enjoyable things because, again, you're going to need that money down the road. Um, so it's really important to take advantage of that asset that you've got when you're young, which is time. Well, I, I agree with you. I think uh, we spend... Unfortunately, even in most churches, not even the debt and the generosity conversations being had, or at least not to the degree that it can or should be had. But I, I'm with you. I, I wish we could move beyond the training wheels um, because not only does that create this, this wrong notion that the stewardship ministry is either for people who are broke or in debt, uh, who need financial assistance or need the education to get out of uh, their bad situation, uh, or it's all about giving. And it, it's so short everything else that God is trying to teach and do through our lives in the area of stewardship. Stewardship is more than money. Uh, it's more than giving. Stewardship is how we live our lives. It's a motivation, you know, the attitude of the heart. And it's, it, it coincides with our, our not just our role as stewards, but our roles as disciples of Christ, right? We, Jesus said, I think it was in Luke 14, where he said, you, you have to forsake everything, everything, everything. Uh, And when we have that attitude in anything that we do related to our resources that we've been given, whether it's money, whether it's the portion we invest, the portion we spend, then it it completely changes the way we look at our our decisions. And it forces us to to really ask the question is, why do we do it? What's the motivation uh, behind investing, saving, spending, buying? 
And uh, that's something that the church is absolutely responsible for. Uh, church leaders are are there to teach God's word so that we can walk with wisdom. Uh, so what are some of the key principles uh, that Christians should be mindful of as they invest? Can we touch on that? Yeah, sure. And before we do, I just want to camp on one other point, and that is, you know, the church's opportunity here. I think there's a huge opportunity within this topic of investing to draw many people into the Mm -hmm. stewardship conversation, into the offerings of the stewardship ministry, because there is so much interest in it. And so so to find out that the Bible has some principles that are relevant and, and helpful to, to a person, I think is maybe surprising to some people. And so I think it's an opportunity to, to really expand the reach and impact of, of a ministry. Um, but in terms of principles, I mean, the Bible talks about diversification from Ecclesiastes. So, you know, there too, you know, people talk about individual stocks. Well, and so I'm going to go all in on GameStop or I'm going to, you know, AMC theaters. And, and you know, that's not diversified. Uh, so that's why, again, I, I really, and we at, at SMI really uh, value the diversification of mutual funds and exchange traded funds. Um, but that slow and steady process um, where we're thinking long-term, where, where we realize that the market moves in cycles, um, that it's, it shouldn't be a shock when the market goes through a downturn, when there's a correction, when there's a bear market, these things happen. You know, the overall broad trajectory of the market has been upward, but again, it's been marked by lots of ups and downs along the way. And so that steady plotting sort of mindset and approach to investing is really, really essential um, to invest successfully. Um, As I mentioned, uh, managing our emotions, fear and greed. Um, One of the things that was so encouraging to me that I mentioned in last year's uh, forum is that we we, uh, surveyed our members at at SMI after the big downturn of early 2020 to ask them, you know, did you make any changes? How did you navigate that scary time? I mean, anybody, even the most experienced investors would be nervous when the market is falling so fast, so quickly, um, so far, and there's so much fear and uncertainty around the pandemic. And yet so many people wrote to us and we asked them about certain scriptures that were helpful to them. We have a resource on our website that that we make available to people um, with all these verses that people sent us. It was so encouraging to see God's people leaning on the truth of God's word, that God is our rock and our salvation, that God is our provider, that God has promised to provide for our needs. He knows our needs. And and that, I think, is one of the most perhaps uh, understated principles as Christians that, that, that it's our faith that's our foundation. It's not the size of our 401k account. It's not the size of our IRA. It's our, it's our faith in Christ that is the foundation of our lives. And so when those scary times as an investor to have that foundation of faith is so, so very essential. So those are some of the key things I would say as, as general principles of, of biblical investing. Yeah. It's interesting to me. I've heard this from several people who um, are I would, what I would consider successful investors. And uh, most of them say that investing is actually quite boring. <laughs> and it's supposed to be. It's not a gamble. It's not something you do. You know, it's not a roller coaster ride. It's not supposed to be. It's something that you investing because you know long term it's got a, a great uh, potential. And then you stop looking at it, stop worrying about it, stop listening to headlines or, or all the other things that, that might emotionally trigger you to do something. But then it comes back to the principles that you just touched on, which is, where is our hope? If our hope is in money and in wealth, then yeah, 
we're, we're going to be emotionally compromised and we'll do the wrong things and, and stress over things that we don't need to be. But if our hope is in the only one that truly can satisfy, and that's Christ himself, um, then we'll weather those storms. So we'll just believe that however it turns out, God is fully in charge. But we've done our part. We've taken the steps of faith, the believing, of stewarding, of investing, of preparing. And then it's up to God how he wants to unfold that, right? It's, it's his plan, not ours. Um, so you did mention one other thing that I wanted to touch on. You mentioned your three children that are still at home. And obviously you, you have, you and your wife, I'm sure, have um, invested a lot of time and a lot of intentional, intentional teaching and influencing on investing. Um, so as a topic of, of, for parents, is investing something that, that parents should be doing? How should they teach their children uh, about uh, investing and, and what age and how, how should they do that? Yeah, that's one of the most exciting topics to me is, is teaching kids about money in general um, and then investing specifically. One of the things that, that I've discovered firsthand um, is that kids can understand more about money and even complicated topics like investing, they can understand more at a younger age than we sometimes assume. Mm -hmm. And so really important to introduce it to, to our kids. I think around age eight or so is not too young, certainly. Mm -hmm. um, I have a friend who started his daughter with investing at age six, and um, he showed me a note that, that she had written at that age in her six-year-old handwriting where he had told her that the market, like we talked about a minute ago, the market goes up and down and we shouldn't get scared and we've got a plan and we've got a trustworthy process and we should stay with it. And so he told her one time over breakfast that the market was having a really difficult time. And she wrote a note that said, keep my money invested. And to see it in a six-year-old handwriting was really uh, pretty cool. Um, but I think one of the important things is to get kids hands on with money, make it real for them. And that's how you make it real is make it their money that they have really invested in a real account. So you can open up a custodial account. Kid has to be 18 to have an account in their own name, but you can open a, a custodial account for them at most brokerage houses. Our kids have both a brokerage account and a Roth IRA. Um, so if they can, uh, and once they start having earned income and, and even things like mowing the lawn or shoveling snow or dog walking for neighbors and that sort of thing, even that counts as earned income. So as they earn more, we're switching that money from the, the, the taxable brokerage account into the Roth. So as long as Congress doesn't mess with the tax laws, then by the time they're older and, and ready to you know, perhaps leave the paid workforce to see what else God has for them, they'll have quite a bit of money available to them tax-free. But, but again, make it hands-on. So I, I remember a time when our, I think then 14-year-old wanted to see his accounts. And so we, we went online together, we looked around, he saw terms he wasn't familiar with, like cost basis. And I'll, I'll tell you, Leo, if, if I had tried to tell our kids over dinner one night about cost basis, I'm sure all the heads would have been on the table. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yet he had real money invested in the market. Yeah. And he saw something in his account that he didn't understand and he had a question about it. So it was a great uh, way to have a, a real conversation that I think conveyed uh, knowledge in a way that, that, that stayed with him. So um, don't be afraid to start too early. Make it normal. I want our kids to grow up where it's normal, that it's normal to give generously the first portion of every dollar they receive. It's normal to set aside a portion in savings. It's normal to invest. And then we use what's left over to do the other things that we might want to do with that money. Um, I, I like using little 
phrases around our house about money and other things, but just to try to uh, help them remember certain things. Like one of the things I often say is let's not spend money on dumb things so that we have more money to spend on fun things. But when it comes to investing, I've told our kids, why just buy what all the other kids buy when you could buy the companies that make what all the other kids buy? And so that got them curious that, hey, if you buy an exchange traded fund that that represents the S&P 500, you own little portions of lots of companies that you know and, and recognize, and that makes it more real for them. Yeah. I love it. I think it's, it's, you found ways to, and you're encouraging parents to, to take this on, you find ways to make it fun for them and make it interesting to them rather than saying, Hey, I know it's good for you. Just do this, you know, and I'm going to teach you everything and you do this and you'll be okay. Because that, that's not going to be very motivational, especially if you once you get into some of the difficult language. But if it's their own, if they have put their own time and resources into it, uh, all of a sudden the interest changes. It's no longer you pushing; it's them drawing from you. And I love that approach because it does work. It works when it's when it's tangible, when it's their money, and when it, they ask the questions because they want to know. Uh, and that's really the best way to teach. Yeah, I like to say that that the best lessons will happen in real time with real money in the real world. Um, you know, it's it's great that some schools are starting to do some teaching about money, and and I'm sure some good is being done there. But at the end of the day, we can take our kids to the grocery store and show them how we comparison shop and how we look at price per count or price per ounce. We can you know open up a custodial account for them and sit there with them as we make decisions, and we encourage them eventually to make their own decisions about those sorts of things. You know, we can, since we have them under roof and we have them with us as we take them various places where there are opportunities to use money, we can make it real for them. And that's really, really important. Yeah, that's great. Well, Matt, I, I so appreciate your wisdom in this area. Uh, we need more guys like you to be influencing church leaders to talk about this important topic of investing. So I appreciate your time today and just covering some of these questions and really hopefully inspiring some of the people that are listening to this podcast and to this video, watching this video to take action. Uh, you know, we cannot read the word of God that says we should prepare and then either do nothing or take the wrong approach. And we really need to look at the motives of why uh, we invest. Is it because we have needs that we think are not being taken care of? We really need to look at that because God said he will provide all our needs. And we really need to approach this from the perspective of it's God's resources. How do we do it in a way that fulfills our responsibility, our opportunities that God's given us, but fully still trusting God in the process? Because investing is a long-term, it's a slow road to, to that destination, not something that is quick uh, as, as social media and, and the headlines tend to, to want us uh, to engage in it. And we need to push away from that. And more than that, as we learn that, we can pass it on to our children, our grandchildren, those that we're uh, living with and serving in our churches. Uh, it's such an important topic, and it really will distinguish uh, us as, as believers from everyone else. Because, you know, people will try. I love what you said, Matt, that this is an opportunity for the church because people try things that the world puts in front of them, right? We all have been duped to do certain things that the world says, this is what you should do. And then when it doesn't turn out like it should, because it won't, it doesn't satisfy, it doesn't fulfill us, then the church can be there to take an opportunity to say, you were deceived. It's not your fault. You didn't know. Let's show you the wisdom of God. Let's show you God's word. 
where you will find truth. And I think that's why younger people are so interested in this and why it's an opportunity, because when you show them truth and it resonates and it works, then that's a distinct difference than all the other fluff and all the other stuff that they hear. That's all promises that are empty promises that will never come about. So it is really important for us to take a stance and make this part of the conversation because it is part of our stewardship. And we need to be uh, peculiar people, as the scripture says, right? Set apart, unique. Uh, so that means we look different. We do things differently. And uh, you've offered a lot of wisdom how to bring about the investing part of our stewardship into a godly focus. And, and I appreciate what you do, not just personally, but also what you do through Soundline Investing and your team and, and the, the guidance and the information and the wisdom that you provide through the newsletter every week, uh, every month. So thank you for that. And thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Well, my pleasure, Leo. Really appreciate all that you and CSN are doing as well. Thank you. Uh, if you guys want to know more about Soundmind Investing, you can go to soundmindinvesting.com, soundmindinvesting.com. You can learn about all the resources that they offer, read their blogs. They have just a ton of resources in this area of investing, and it's all biblically, foundationally based. It's just awesome. So I really encourage you guys to, to engage with them. Subscribe to their newsletter. That's the best way to learn how to be a better investor yourself and get their strategies and, and really trust uh, someone who does this for a living, who's constantly looking and understanding how the market works. You don't have to be the expert. You just have to look at the strategies and see how they played out and then take that advice. That's one of the ways that you can invest uh, is by, by becoming a newsletter subscriber and then learning and implementing some of their strategies. And of course, they offer some other services. So feel free to take advantage of those. And if you want to know more about CSN and what we do, we'd love for you to come check us out at christianstewardshipnetwork.com. Attend our forum. It's coming up in a couple of months. Really would love for you to be there. This is where you will find everything that's related to stewardship and the organizations that serve churches, some of the largest organizations that serve churches in the area of stewardship, generosity, giving, all of that. And we would love for you to be part of that and uh, really benefit from all the content that's going to be offered through that. Uh, in the meantime, thank you for being part of this. We appreciate your time and we appreciate you. And uh, we pray God's blessing over you. And if we can help you, either myself at CSN or Matt at SMI, we'd love to do so. Let us know. Uh, until next time, thanks for being with us. 